Amen. What a beautiful song of praise as we continue our worship service this morning in the preaching of God's Word. What a beautiful setting this day is as we conclude uh, our summer series in the preaching of Psalm 8 this morning. But before we start, it would be great to look back at Psalm 1 through 7. And in fact, we actually already sang Psalm 1. As it is a very familiar psalm, a wisdom psalm that is really the door to the entire book and reminds us of one who delights in God's law and the characteristics of a person that does so in righteousness and good fruit. Psalm 2 is a royal psalm, a kingship psalm of the Lord's anointed. And Psalms 3 through 7, psalms of lament and actually culminating in verse 17. I will give to the Lord the thanks due to his righteousness, and I will sing praise to the name of the Lord, the Most High, which is a great prelude to this morning's psalm, Psalm 8. Turn with me, open your Bibles to Psalm 8. In the Pew Bible, this page 450. Psalm 8. To the choir master, according to the Giddeth, a psalm of David, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens, out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes, to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you care for him. Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands and have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the fish of the sea. Whatever passes along the paths of the seas, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come together in the study of your word. We pray, Lord, that the word would go out in spirit, in truth, and God, that we would know you more fully. Open up our hearts, Lord. Give us a heart of flesh. Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We come to another great message in Psalm 8. The central theme, if you haven't already heard it, is in verse 1 and verse 9. Book ends, and in learning, as we all know, if there's a repetition better pay attention. Verse 1 and verse 9. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Which brings us to the title of today's message, a majestic hymn of praise. Six points. Point number one, the majesty of his name. Point number two, praise out of the mouth of babes. Point number three, Magnificent creator. Point number four, what is man? 
five, marvel the grace given to man. And point number six, the majesty of his name. When I was a teenager, I had the opportunity to volunteer in the National Park Service on the Big Island of Hawaii, where I'm from. I'm actually from Oahu, but on the Big Island. It was there that I built wire fences to contain the wild boar that destroyed the, uh, the fauna and the flora. And at the end of my volunteering, I had the opportunity to go backpacking along a lava field. And after that five, 10-mile trek on lava, um, we camped. And on that camp night, where there's no city lights, I looked up into the stars, the Milky Way, and thinking, wow, how great our God is and how small I am. I can only imagine that David, likely a youth, that shepherd boy, looking into the deep dark night sky and busting out in a new song, a hymn of praise. For us, maybe it would be busting out in a rap. <laughs> or my son Isaac with an ukulele, just breaking out, bursting with joy and praising the Lord. We know from 1 Samuel and Psalms that David was a skilled musician with lyre, which is a, a small harp. In the heading of our verse this morning, to the choir master, according to the Giddith, a psalm of David, Giddith is likely an instrument set to a joyous tune. John Calvin said this of Psalm 8, David, reflecting upon God's fatherly beneficence towards mankind, is not content with simply giving thanks for it, but is enraptured in the contemplation of it. The beauty of this psalm is, is that it is a full celebration of God, his glory, him as creator, who he is, what he has done, and his relationship to man, and man's relationship to the world. Psalm 8 is masterfully put together in these tight nine verses. The simplistic beauty in this glorious psalm. Psalm 8 is quoted four times in the New Testament in Matthew chapter 21, verse 16, Hebrews chapter 2, 1 Corinthians 15, Ephesians 1, and draws heavily on the Genesis account in Genesis chapter 1. Point number one, the majesty of his name. The, the psalm starts off with and ends with, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is his name in all the earth. This is important because it speaks of God being the centerpiece and object of our praise. The first Lord is all capitals and is in reference to Yahweh, the divine name of God. It is God's name in Hebrew. The Jews regarded this name of God with reverence that they wouldn't speak his name. It is the divine name of God. It is mentioned over 6,000 times in the Old Testament. We see the character of God's name when Moses spoke to the Lord in Exodus chapter 3, verses 13 and through 15. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? 
God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. We see the permanency of God's name and how his name carries forever. The words, our Lord, lowercase, is an address to God as governor or ruler. How majestic is your name in all the earth? What's in a name? One of the most common ways we address people as buddy or nicknames, pet names of endearment for spouses such as love, baby. However, when we pray to God, we commonly address God as God, Heavenly Father, Lord, Jesus, God, but rarely is the word majesty is used when we pray. The highest address in the United States is we use Mr. President. And I think it has been a very, very long time since we used that address, Mr. President, where it has any reference to high power, office, respect, or civility. But if you're from the United Kingdom or England, you address Queen Elizabeth as Your Majesty. Majesty has a sense of grandeur, awe, wonder, reverence. It is an expression of high etiquette. It is a stunning statement. It is an entitlement. It is not earned or something that has to be worked on. God's name defines majesty. God has no rivals. God is majesty. So we have, O Yahweh, my Lord, gives a strong connection to majestic name. The only proper response to God's majesty is praise, as revealed by his name. This is the covenant maker God of Israel that makes himself made known to all the earth not a secret society or a secret name of God. The majesty of God's name is with a sense of awestruck wonder from a perfect, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving God who we can truly say to him, Yahweh, Lord, your majesty. By understanding and knowing the name of God, it will help us trust him in our daily lives. The names of God signify his character. God's names reveals that he is and he exists. Because God is, there is no other reality. No multiverse, no what if, no other plane of existence, no nirvana. One of the characteristics of God is that he doesn't change. If God did change, he wouldn't be God. God doesn't change his mind. Nothing happens without God being in control. His name is a foundation of truth and a solid rock that we can trust in at all times. 
And we now have the parallel phrase followed up by, you have set your glory above the heavens. And you know, some of us are science fiction fans, right? Star Trek, space, the final frontier. Star Wars, in a galaxy far, far away. God's greatness is far beyond the final frontier, beyond the farthest galaxy. God's glory is infinitely beyond the stars where we can't even imagine what those stars and planets look like. His majesty is in the smallest particle of the earth, to the center of earth's core, to beyond the stars. His majesty is everywhere. Nehemiah 9.6, you are the Lord, you alone. You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their hosts, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve all of them, and the host of heaven worships you. Psalm 113:4-6. The Lord is high above all nations and his glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God who is seated on high, who looks far down on the heavens and the earth? As God has made the, the heavens and beyond the heaven, one cannot be but amazed with the glory of God, who is the greatest, bestest, and strongest. This is point number one, the majesty of his name. Point number two, praise out of the mouth of babes. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. This is a deep contrast of God to the smallest, the weakest, the no knowledge, no wisdom, child, who is utterly dependent upon his parents. It is the voice of, and praise of babies is strength. It reminds me of the song that every parent knows. Jesus loves me, this I know. The Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Amen to that. In contrast, the greatness, the strength, and glory of God, we see that children, the weak, the most vulnerable, can grasp who God is. In Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem, Jesus quotes Psalm 8, Matthew 21, 14 through 16. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes. Have you never read out of the mouths of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise? When the chief priests and scribes, the intellectuals of the day, saw these little street rats say, Hosanna to the son of David, they thought that Jesus would be offended. They themselves were silent and contemptuous. They just didn't get it. They didn't see the meekness and majesty of Jesus that the children saw. 
from the infants in the nursery, in our preschool, elementary school, children are able to disarm the strong, the intellectuals, the media, and the enemies of God. If the intellectuals of the day won't praise the Lord, then the little children will praise the Lord. God will not be denied praise. St. Augustine, prior to his conversion, he was wild, young, immoral. As he was con contemplating his unsatisfying life in sin, he lamented, and he heard the voice of a boy or girl repeating, take up and read, take up and read. It was as if the Lord commanded him to open the Bible and read Romans. At the end of the reading, he was converted. He was saved. Isn't there so much wonder and awe when we see our children praising the Lord during the service? Or when they come out to sing for that Christmas Eve service, everyone's just like, ooh, let me take a picture, right? The simple faith of children reminds us, especially parents, the need to praise the Lord. Dad, Mom, when was the last time your family had family worship? Parents, since when do kids' sports take priority over praising the Lord on Sunday? Parents, don't be in the way of hindering not only yourself, but your children in worshiping the Lord. Matthew 19, verse 14. Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. At times, it is out of the mouth of children and babies who speak the simple truth to the proud, to the critic, and those that are in power. Point number one, the majesty of his name. Point number two, praise out of the mouth of babes which brings us to point number three, magnificent creator, verse three. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, think about the heavens and the stars on a quiet evening in the wilderness. You see the brilliance of the moon. Beyond the moon is Venus and Jupiter. Beyond the heavens, or the Milky Way, you have the heavens the Milky Way, galaxies upon galaxies, the cosmos. The beauty of the cosmos is the simple wisdom of God, placing the earth, the sun, the planets, and heavens in its place. On a silent night, it is the stars that are moving on a black carpet. David is astonished at the greatness of God who could create such beauty in one look in the night sky. David says this, the work of your fingers. Just to be clear, God doesn't have a body and he doesn't have fingers. The point is that it didn't take much for God to create the moon, to set the moon, to set Venus, to set Jupiter and the stars in its place. It was easy peasy. David probably couldn't even fathom that we could send a man into space 
to the moon and back. And we're still trying to figure out space tourism and explore Mars. We haven't even remotely explored our solar system, yet our galaxy. And who made it all? God did. Our magnificent creator. Job 9, verses 9 and 10. Who made the bear and Orion, Pleiades and the chambers of the south, who does great things beyond searching out and marvelous things beyond number. Romans 1.20. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. Whether you know science or not, this psalm is intended to enhance our praise of worship of Yahweh, our God, our Creator. It is here that David declares with an exclamation that God is Creator. Brothers, sisters, friend, are you declaring the exclamation that God is Creator? For the skeptic, are you acknowledging God? Because there's a big problem if you're not acknowledging God as the magnificent creator. This is our magnificent creator. Point number one, the majesty of his name. Point number two, praise out of the mouth of babes. Point number three, magnificent creator. And point number four, what is man? Verse four, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? In beautiful and poetic contrast, we move from looking at God, his name, the vastness of the universe, the fingers that God made the universe, David looking at the stars. Only he, man, can ponder this question. What is man? David's only response is astonishment, humility, introspection that man is tiny, fragile, weak, and feeble. But wait. The verse continues with hope because God is mindful of him and that you care for him. This is an amazing statement because here we have Yahweh, Lord God, creator of the heavens, who is intentional and cares for us. Psalm 144, verse 3. O Lord, what is man that you regard him, or the son of man that you think of him? Job 7, 17. What is man that you make so much of him, and that you set your heart on him? It is an exclamation of God being intentional, purposeful, and concerned for man. For the atheist, God doesn't exist. Atheist Richard Dawkins says that, quote, in a universe of electrons and selfish genes, blind physical forces and genetic replication, some people are going to get hurt, other people are going to get lucky, and you don't find any rhyme or reason in it, nor any justice. The universe that we observe has precisely the properties we should expect if there is, at bottom, no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but pitiless indifference. What a sad state of affair in a belief that there is no good, no evil, but pitiless indifference. 
Philosophy won't save you. Life would be just chance. There is no hope. But our God, Yahweh, our Lord cares. He cared so much that he sent his only begotten son. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Brother, sister, friend, the Lord of the universe, our great God of highest heaven, reveals himself in creation, and through Jesus, his only begotten Son, there is life. There's no other way to be saved but through Christ. The Bible is the story of God's glory. It's about the Savior. It's about God. It's about a God of order. Only he is the one that can make sense of the calamities of the world. War, poverty, drought, fires, civil unrest, pandemics. Atheism and other religions can't explain the world and the world's problems. Friend, confess your pride. Confess your sin. Acknowledge and trust in Jesus. This is about the God who cares, who sent his son Jesus. Trust in Jesus so that you may live. This is point number four. What is man? Point number five. Marvel the grace given to man. You have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. Let's first go over the, the different views of the word heavenly beings, which employs Elohim in Hebrew, which could mean God, gods, or heavenly beings. The earliest Greek translation of the Old Testament uses angels or messengers. The English Standard Version and the NIV use heavenly beings. The New American Standard uses God. There are th really three different views on this. The first view is that man is created a little lower than God because he is made in the image of God and to rule on God's behalf. The second view is that man is created a little lower than angels, which encompasses both God and angels. And the third view, last view, is that man is a little lower than angels. I would take the first view when taking into the Genesis account that man, we are the crown jewel of his creation. Regardless of the translation or view you take, it is clear that God has given the highest honor to man. And it is important to realize that this is not a penalty, but an honor. We now see God's amazing grace to man. It's about God's relationship to man and man's relationship to earth. Do you know why there is so much confusion in the world? Do you think there's a lot of confusion in the world right now? There is so much confusion. Because people don't have a biblical worldview. They don't know the Bible. They don't know the Genesis account. God, who made Adam and Eve, who were made in God's image, were given authority 
and dominion over the earth and the animals. Man was to subdue the earth. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to 28. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creepy, creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Psalm 8 draws heavily on the creation account. For every man, woman, child, and unborn is made in the image of God. We are all God's image bearers, crowned with glory and honor. We are not an accident of random particles put together. Man is God's highest creature. These are the privileges and rights given to us by our Creator. We are all made in the image of God. Nothing that we earned, crowned with glory and honor. God's plan in Genesis was that man was to be king of an unblemished earth. We are God's vice regents, his royal servants, mirroring God's rule. Tragically, because of Adam's sin, creation was marred and ruined by death. Because of Adam's sin, the world is a messed up place. It's confusing. There's chaos, disorder. So much disorder in the world can be explained because people don't understand what it means to be made in the image of God. And fully take into consideration the creation account. Why do we worship Mother Earth? Or why do people worship Mother Earth instead of God? Why is there confusion about a seven-year-old where that child is male or female? Really? Why is there such a high priority on animals rather than God and people? It comes to no surprise when a study by Arizona Christian University that says 43% of millennials don't know if, care, or believe God exists. It is because man took the image of God and affirmed his own truth instead. When God made Adam and Eve, he made them all one race, the human race. Man still rules, but not successfully. We have wars, rumor of wars, political fights, overreaching government, civil unrest, fires, hurricanes, droughts, even a virus turning the world upside down. If there's a way to mess things up, man will do it. It's the second law of thermodynamics. Things will eventually break down. Just like you tell your child to clean their room, it eventually becomes messy. Things break down. Psalm 8 is also quoted in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 6 through 8. It is where we see the glory of man 
While David doesn't say this explicitly, he waits for a great promise. From the failure of the first Adam who sinned and brought death to us, we see the promise of the second Adam. As we read further in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 9 through 18, focusing on the preeminence and supremacy of Christ, it is where hope became realized in Jesus, the Messiah. The healing of man's sin can only be forgiven and fulfilled in the risen Christ. Whether it is the dolphins swimming at Torrance Beach on the Thursday afternoon, or off the waters off the Channel Islands, or the school of fish at Electric Beach, or your pet dog, or your pet cat, God has put all the earth and all the animals under his dominion. We live in an upside-down, bizarre world where New York's Leona Helmsley's pet cat gets a $12 million inheritance. Or the Bronx Zoo where there's a lawsuit on behalf of Happy the Elephant to get a form of legalized personhood. These problems here are because man is going against God's design, man lifting up the image of animals rather than understanding that we are made in the image of God. The earth is the Lord's, and we are to be stewards to take care of the earth and animals. The earth and all that is in it is meant to serve people. And to further this point, Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? Matthew 22, 37 to 40, and he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So putting it all together, here's God's biblical design and order of things. Love God, love your neighbor and man, and three, everything else, including care for the earth and animals, is last. The problem is where the order is mixed up, where we take God out of the picture. Brothers and sisters, we have to accept and marvel at God's design. It is he who brings order to life and the world. This is point number five. Marvel the grace given to man, given to us by the Lord. And we come to verse 9 a reprise of verse 1, the majesty of his name. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And I'll end with this. 31 years ago, NASA's Voyager 1, at the behest of astronomer Carl Sagan, told the imaging team to turn the camera to capture the last image of the earth, 3.7 billion miles away, the image of the Earth is literally a tiny dot of 0.12 pixels on a light name, on a light beam. He later named the image the pale blue dot. For a secularist like Carl Sagan, all the lies on the pale blue dot means nothing but a photograph. So what's the purpose of the blue dot? The answer is Jesus Christ. Yahweh our Lord created the heavens and the blue dot God existed before the cosmos. He is outside space and time. Colossians 1, 15 through 20. 
He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything that he might be preeminent, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. This is our Lord Jesus. A while ago, a relative of mine gave me a book. Maybe you might have it or heard about it. 1,000 Places to See Before You Die. It lists all the places in the world to go and see, so you can take a selfie or Instagram. This is really so short-sighted and selfish. I would actually rewrite the title of the book, One Person to Trust before you die and give that person a Bible. Let this day be the day of salvation so that you may believe in the Lord through his Son, Jesus Christ. When you trust and know the Lord, when you behold his name, when you behold his majesty, when you behold his grace, you will truly sing, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. This is Psalm 8, a majestic hymn of praise. Let's pray. Majestic Lord, oh how great you are. We marvel at who you are, what you've done, and sing of the beauty of who you are. We're so enthralled, enraptured, with you, Lord. We cannot help but sing praise like the children did when they saw Jesus. So we come to you, Lord, with mouths open wide to sing an anthem, to sing a praise of Yahweh, our Lord, the magnificent name above all names. Amen.